at the time of editing this podcast episode, it's late April and you guys, we just hit six thousand downloads of the Witch Talks podcast and way more if you include the YouTube views as well. So thank you everyone who has supported, listened, liked, subscribed, rated, reviewed, all of that. I see you. I'm grateful for you. And yes, that one person in Saudi Arabia, I see you too. And I'm so grateful for every single person who has listened and agreed to have me in your little ear holes. Thank you so much. And I am sending all my love out to all of you. Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Melissa Sues, also known as the Flood Witch. Melissa is a psychic medium, bruja, and writer. She identifies as Criollo Latin and an astral hedge witch. Melissa is a keen advocate for marginalized voices in witchcraft, and I'm so looking forward to sharing Melissa's work and wisdom with you today. So let's get into it. She is joining us via Zoom all the way from Maine in the USA. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So great to have you here. Now, my first question for you today is where did you get the name Flood Witch? Mm, Okay, so that's a good question. I, um, I used to live in Florida in um, this, you know, Florida is very marshy and swampy and we had a lot of hurricanes and, um, and if you look at like Caribbean um, thoughts on hurricanes, it's, it, it was all very uh, like the, um, like ancient beliefs of the indigenous people of the Caribbean were that um, storms and things like that came from um, gods and you know the wrath of the gods and, and and that kind of thing and so the idea of a flood in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different places and particularly in you know the southern United States and the tropics um, is very sort of this big magical event and so um, flood witch had to do with connecting with water and connecting with your environment and connecting with nature and that's changed a lot since I've been in Maine but I'm going to keep that name as that kind of overarching vibe of connecting with where you are and kind of finding that place Mm -hmm. oh I totally get it and you are right I know even just with for example Christian theology and knowing the stories of the Bible from my background the the flood I mean that is a pivotal story in that book it's also featured in most of the Abrahamic religions in fact a lot of religions have a great giant flood and it is usually wrath of the gods or they are doing a big cleanse or something like that Uh, It's actually very timely as well that we're chatting today and that that is your name. I live in Queensland in Australia Mm -hmm. and at the time of recording this, which is in March in uh, 2022, we've just had some of the worst floods ever here. So thankfully I live on a hill and our house is safe. We almost had our garage cave in. There was a big leak through the roof, but we got it fixed just in time. But it was a week of just steady torrential rain and lots of landslides Mm. and floods and all sorts of things up here and it's quite common to have flooding in this part of the world so uh, almost like timely to talk about that Mm -hmm. it does feel like when you're when you're in 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 an experience of like a hurricane or a flood or some you know big event you could really um feel like that that sense of how powerful it is all around you I feel like that a storm is such a high energy time you know absolutely just a storm by themselves with thunder and lightning that is enough Mm -hmm. to to really feel the the power of the gods I used to uh 
think or I guess play with the idea of maybe you know if there were more than one god maybe they were having a big argument upstairs or you know mm. having a rough and tumble little wrestle up there that's sort of the vibe that you feel like it's big and it's it's beyond us that's the mm-hmm. Absolutely. It comes. Uh, I collected a ton of uh, storm water with a big mm. cup and I'm keeping all of that to charge under the moonlight. I, I love that. That's what I love. That's a big, I do that with snow water and storm water and um, anything like that I can get my hands on. It's, you know, it's as good as like some sort of blessed water to me. I agree. Absolutely. There's so much power in it. We don't get snow water here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's similar climate to Florida. It's very hot, yeah. very humid. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, I do like to take a squidgery dig at my guests' natal charts and share something interesting with them. Have you ever had your astrology chart read before? Um, n- not by a person. No, I've had apps that have done it. You know, I've never had somebody say, "Oh, let me look at your chart and see what interesting thing I can find." You know, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what you what you thought when you looked at it. Yes. So what I wanted to refer to was the placement of Mars in your chart. The reason for doing that, I don't know. I'm feeling a very Mars energy right now we're in the month of march as we Mm -hmm. record this which is ruled by mars that's where it gets its name from uh there is unfortunately the war developing over in the Mm -hmm. ukraine with russia which in god aries mars Mm -hmm. god of war that sort of thing all of those vibes kind of come together but when we look in astrology mars is the planet of motivation and it can Mm -hmm. be a really handy placement to be aware of when we are wanting to know how to motivate ourselves Mm -hmm. So your Mars is in Libra, which means you're motivated by others predominantly. So it can be wise to ensure that your plans that you want to happen are going to affect other people uh, because you'll probably not want to let them down. So using like people pleasing to your advantage, basically working alongside a business partner or at least bouncing your ideas off a close friend can be really helpful so that you're not stuck with like a mental to-do list that might halt your progress. Sure. Yeah, that's true. This placement can get very much of, you know, I need to do all these things or I don't really know which decision to make. And it can be a little indecisive at times. So having someone to talk through with it or yeah business partner if it's through business is like crucial doing it all by yourself can be very demotivating but Mm -hmm. alongside someone is fantastic along a similar vein is things like if you need to clean your house invite Mm. somebody over and then you'll be like well now I'm motivated (laughs) that's true that sounds just like me that's yeah so it's a really interesting placement to get into so just keep in mind things like Having other people involved is really motivating for you. Doing things one-on-one with someone else, very motivating for you. And also Libra rules over balance, harmony, and beauty. So if you can look to how what you're needing to do or wanting to do brings balance, harmony, or beauty into the world, that can be a good motivator for you to get started. It's cool. I feel like that, that, that I really resonate. That resonates with me because I feel like um, we talked a little bit right before this about um, one of the things that I do a lot of uh, you you know, when you introduced me, you said, I'm a writer and that's true. I have a content marketing business and I started it as a freelancer and I was doing all the writing and I have since branched out this year and added a bunch of writers and I mostly just edit their work. And that works so much better for me to have like, um, other people where I'm just like, here's the assignment and I understand it. And I've talked to the client and I can distribute that information and kind of manage the flow of it and then get something back and edit it and, um, submit it. I'm doing a much higher volume of content. I'm, I'm making better money. I, my working hours are better. And I'm always had that kind of vibe of like, if I'm going to be successful, it's because I've created community. If I'm going to be successful, it's because I have 
um, other successful people around me, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like that um, has been something I've tried to implement in my life. And especially this year, like post COVID and trying to get your, you know, your shit together. Um, I feel like that's been something that um, I've wanted to do and I've branched out and taken some risks. And so to, to, to hear that is interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's fascinating when you can see how things are influencing your life or flowing in with what's in your chart. And that's the one thing I find when people discover what's in their chart. And I mean, everyone has a whole last birth chart. There is so much in there that you can look to. This is just one singular placement. But when people find out about these things, they go, oh, that does sound like me. I haven't been doing that. I've been doing the opposite because that's what I thought I had to do. Or yeah. they've been doing things the hard way. It's like, no, 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 get in flow. As soon as you flow with what you're best at, then things become easy and easy is good. So let's jump straight into this episode's topic, which is decolonizing witchcraft. Can you tell us what decolonizing means? It's not an easy question to answer because it's become a term that people use a lot. And, you know, it's a buzz term in a lot of social justice. Like if you're in social justice, Facebook and social justice, Twitter and all the, um, you know, lefty witch spaces, then you're going to see a lot of people talking about it. Um, not everybody has the same understanding of it. That's okay. I mean, that, that words have a lot of, um, heavy words have a lot of different parts to them. And some people may understand more than others, but you're probably going to see it presented in a lot of different ways. Some of which are more accurate than others. So it just kind of become a word people say. And when something becomes a word people say, I feel like it does lose some of the meaning and the value and the thing that's important about it. So what I think is important about decolonizing your craft is to be on a path of education uh, about marginalized people and what their practice means to them, um, their histories and their backgrounds, their degree of marginalization, and understand where, uh, especially if you're in a, a position of you know supremacy in society, to understand where, um, what you're doing may overlap with other religions and cultures in ways that aren't okay and and where it overlaps in ways that are and there's no like definitive like you know let me just tell you because I find in a lot of those good people are like just tell me what to do you know just tell me what to do and I'll do it and you can't you can't just be like here just do this and you'll be okay you know you have to be able to like be like look you just have to do a a lot of research and learning and find out where those things line up with your own moral compass and what your practice looks like and to pull out as much as possible. You're never going to be able to find every bit of, you know, whatever's been put in there, but to, to pull out the things that you think are really important to other people. um, It's a job that everybody has to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And so no one can tell you how to do it or do it for you, um, which is why it's a hard answer. Yeah. Absolutely. And you are right. It is a buzzword at the moment, which can definitely take away the meaning. I think it's good because it gets into a lot of people's ears and a lot of people hear the word and maybe start to think about it. And then it does lose a lot of its meaning when it is spread literally or thrown around a lot. And it can be thrown around in ways that are probably not appropriate to be using it. Right. Yeah. And I think it does. And I think that you just, you just see a lot of people who, um, who sometimes um, want to jump in and, and, and fight for something, getting into to 
to fights about it and not being fully educated themselves in the ways that they may need to decolonize their practice. Everybody, it's like ongoing work that everybody should be doing, the learning and decolonizing. And, and part of that is the path of like connecting to your own roots and connecting to your own background and your own ancestors and your own, you know, that's a big part of it. And the other part is learning about other people's, you know, and learning about it and appreciating it is different, you know, than just absorbing it, you know? Appreciation versus appropriation. Right. And I think people confuse those two, you know, like they'll say, they'll say I'm appreciating something and they're appropriating it or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, Sometimes appreciating something means like leaving it alone. I agree. When, when you talk about decolonization, you talk, you also talk about privilege and you, you think about sort of your position in society and you think about um, what is accessible to you and maybe not to other people. I mean, that's all kind of part of that conversation. Um, and hopefully you're putting more out into the communities um, that, you know, that rather than even adopting other people's practices at all, if you're interested in those practices, just go out and be helping those people, you know, like those, there are different ways that you can, you can do things and that you can use your privilege um, regardless of who you are to do things better. And so I think that um, for me, witchcraft is, a big community type thing. You know, it's something that I try to build online mostly because I'm not a very much go out person, you know, <laughs> especially since COVID, I've spent a lot of time inside, but um, I, I try to create community with my blog, you know, Floodwitch and getting a lot of marginalized voices in, in Facebook groups, you know, anywhere that I can lend a voice, anywhere that I can advocate, anywhere that I can put my money when I have extra money, you know, those kinds of things um, I think are all part of you know, living decolonization in yourself and your practice. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so if someone is looking at their, their practice and, and just, sorry, another note, my brain's just no, popping up at me. Um, it is interesting to think that potentially decolonizing is not just about, you know, our practice and our privilege and what we're doing, but it feels like it is totally integrated throughout all of society, the way, you know, capitalism, yeah. patriarchy, the way the whole thing is set up there's racism, there's violence, there is, you know, stereotypes, everything that just intermingles together. Uh, but when it comes to our, our own practice and what we're doing in our little bubble of the world, do you have a few tips or steps that people can potentially start with or look to questioning their own stuff? Well, first, I want to say, just based on what you just said, I had a thought and I thought it was interesting, um, the way that you put it, in um, our own practices and our own bubbles, it's kind of like the systems because I think that in a way, as much as we like to think, you know, as witches that we are, we are doing this, this individual practice. A lot of people really love the individualism of it and that we are also, um, you know, kind of railing against the systems, but we are a system. I mean, in, a, in our own way, we are part of a system you could call it maybe a religious system. I know witchcraft isn't a religion, it's a set of practices um, or maybe a spiritual system or something, but you know, it, there's, a, there's a system at play that, that you know, your brain subscribes to when you decide to do this. And then within that, there's a lot of um, structural racism. So I think that it's important to be able to identify it in terms of how you identify it. What people can do, they can, they can you know, find authors of color they can um, read books like Brujas by Lorraine Montiagot. They can um, make sure they're, not, they're taking in responsible literature um, and not old, outdated things. They can look to their own history and heritage in uh, genealogy, find ancestors and um, connect with them in whatever way 
you do that. I, I do that through meditation and, and some people want to do that through altar offerings or through, um, you know, spoken word or whatever, but, um, finding your ancestors and, and connecting with them, I think is important. And, um, learning about other cultures and other practices, just taking in as much knowledge as you can, finding out where the things that you do come from, learning about other cultures that are around you and your, you know, your community. When you learn something, if it feels like maybe this isn't something I should be doing, don't even ask, just do something else. You know, just if it feels weird, I think that's a good um, a good gauge. Like if you have to ask and say, well, maybe I shouldn't burn this or do that, then, um, just skip it. I agree. And I think what can happen, what I've seen happen because, and I'm going to use this as a very standard example. I think it's been talked about a lot, but things like white sage, right. And Palo Santo. And especially when we're talking about burning herbs. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. when I first started, I, I did that because I didn't know any better, but it's, it's the, as soon as you know better, that's when you do better. And that's when you need to change and then, you know, call people out on it, talk about it, open up the conversation. But what I've found by doing that is a lot of people, you know, say it's just a herb. It's, there's nothing to it. Don't listen. Your information's wrong. Blah, 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 blah. And then I have the other side, which I had a lot of people who were Uh, first nations from the united states and they were saying thank you this is you know Mm. that's what we need we need people to stop using this sacred plant and they're not Mm. using it correctly and it's not going to work for them so but a a lot of people dug their heels in i don't want to hear it i don't want to change what i'm doing And i think a lot of that comes from that that guilt of like oh crap i've been doing something wrong for so long no instead of instead of acknowledging i'm just gonna pretend it's fine and it's they put up this big wall for a long time get super defensive and when you're feeling defensive like that, we need, that's like a, for me, it's almost a trigger to lean into that as in something's deeper here. Something else is going yeah. on. Why are we defensive? What is that attacking about me? I'm looking into it a little bit deeper. And that's just one example where it can happen with so many different other parts of our practice. If it feels a little uncomfortable, which is just what you were saying, or you're defensive and that energy shifts when you're talking about it. Because when we're using things like, you know, I use rosemary now, I burn rosemary. That's one of my favorite things to to use as a cleansing herb when I'm burning Mm it. And I talk about, I'm like, yeah, I love rosemary. Rosemary's great. And it feels light and it feels airy. There's no like, am I doing the wrong thing? Or is this right? That none of that confusion around it. So yeah, that feels better too in your practice mm-hmm. when, you, when you don't have to worry. Like you don't have to worry if you're carrying a little guilt, you know. And exactly, it's, you, know, you want to you want to have all your intentions set and everything, you know, projecting, you know, whatever you're trying to do, whether it's positivity or growth or whatever. And you don't want to be, um, you know, you don't want to be feeling a little guilty. It's not just mm-hmm. it's just not something that um, people want to do. So I think that 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 is good to kind of listen to your gut and like follow your own instincts. And then I think. Um, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people also kind of want people of color to be um, a monolith, depending on the culture that they're, they're, you know, that is, you know, whether it's like white sage and Native Americans, or you're talking about like, you know, black folks and like honey jars and hoodoo, mm-hmm. um, people want um, a monolith answer. And then, so they'll say, well, you know, I had a friend who didn't care. And you're going to find that 
in every culture. You're going to have people who care and people who don't care. Mm -hmm. But if you're still doing it, then you're shutting down the people who do care. And so like, how is, how is that feeling for you that you're doing this thing, but there are people who care about who care about it, even if your friend was like, no, it's fine, you know? And so that's why I say it's a real personal thing. You got to find your own line. But like at the same time, where my line starts usually is if I'm getting people from a culture telling me like, oh, no, that's wrong. Then I feel like immediately I want to kind of stop and research and think about what I'm doing. Um, Even if I have another group of people saying, no, that's fine. I, I agree. I agree. And it's, pardon the pun, I don't know if this counts as a pun, but it's not black and white. It yeah. is very gray. There are gray areas and there are yeah. differing opinions and all of that. But I do think, especially a lot of witches have the, especially if they're Wiccan, the idea, you know, do no harm. And so if what you're doing is even harming one person, just, maybe we shouldn't do it. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big problem, I think, in the Wiccan community. And I, that, that, that Wiccan read where they, you know, you don't, you don't harm anybody. And it's like, but a lot of those practices that are traditionally kind of practiced under that umbrella mm-hmm. are harmful. And when you look at it that way, I mean, it, it's impossible to do that and do that. You know, it's like that doesn't, doesn't really make sense. And so, uh, but getting people to understand that's really tough. I mean, that goes into challenging core beliefs. Um, if, if you can just get people to think about it, to start to move the needle, um, then you've done something right, mm. I think. Yeah. For example, back to burning herbs and things with Palo Santo, I I don't use Palo Santo anymore. And I <laughs> encourage anyone that I'm teaching or working with or any of my content, I don't suggest people use it. And I have had a lot of people from uh, Central and South America that have said, oh, no, it's fine. I'm from this area. We just use it as a bug repellent. Mm-hmm. and I'm like that's fine but what I've researched is mm-hmm. there are people who are not comfortable with it and you know if you're from that area great go and use it that's totally fine and if you're not using it in a spiritual capacity that's fine as well but these trees they have to die in order for us to get Palo Santo that is a finite resource and yeah. I don't I also don't think that that's something we should be taking from so if it's something that we can do, if I can use something else, I'll use something else. The other thing, I'm on the other side of the world. I shouldn't be getting right. Palo Santo here. <laughs> well, and I always tell people about, about herbs, like my favorite way to cleanse a house is like grass from your yard. Like Ooh. go into your yard and pull your own grass because, you know, your house's energy is sort of like, you know, on this plot of land and burn it as, as long as you don't have a grass allergy, you know, then, then you should be all right. You know, I, 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 we, in Maine, we get a lot of bluegrass. Some people are allergic to it. So I don't typically like, you know, recommend people just use bluegrass, but I'm not allergic to it. So I can pull bluegrass and make a bundle and, you know, do a home cleanse, you know, right out from my backyard. And that's um, more meaningful and symbolic to me as a practitioner than white sages that means so much to somebody else I I do hope in the future that less stores bring it in and it it feels trivial now it just Mm -hmm. feels I don't know it doesn't feel right or high vibe Mm -hmm. because of you know the way it's treated and all of that it's just seen as commercial Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about as well is when we're talking about this decolonization being so pervasive in Mm. all aspects of society in this day and age. Would you say that doing things like, I know you were saying, read books that are by um, black people of color um, authors. Would you say things like looking at, I guess, the structure of society being capitalist, right? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. ways of almost like moving out of that. So paying people what uh, we believe they're worth for their time and their energy uh, rather than just for a service. Does that make, does that make sense? Would that um, like part of creating that? a kind of economy sort of like. Yeah, not so much that, like I, I follow a lot of um, black creators on Instagram, mm-hmm. for example. And I know a, a big movement with that is if you are using my resources, if you are getting benefit from what I produce, they're not mm-hmm. selling a service. They're like not, PayPal me, Venmo me. Yeah, those me. sorts of things. And that's almost Absolutely. like moving outside of the capitalist structure of work, 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 get paid for work, and then it all goes into the big society. But instead it is more community-based. Would yeah, that I mean, sort of practice form decolonization as well? It does. Absolutely. I, and that's a big part of what I think, when I think of like creating your own economies, that's kind of what I mean. It's like when I, when I think of creating community, it's similar. So lifting each other up when we have the chance to, that can be financially, that could be with help or with food. I mean, um, reaching out directly into your community. Like I said, I do a lot of stuff online. So for me, it's usually connecting with people digitally, helping them um, get work, like through my business, you know, helping people make money, um, giving money to people for the things that they say and the things that they do, raising money for people who need money, those kinds of things mm-hmm. um, outside of the, the general like workforce economy that's part of a system that doesn't benefit anyone really. <laughs> benefits the rich and that's it. Right. Right. And then and the, the, the most marginalized people, of, I guess that's, that's, that's awesome. Cause that's kind of what flood, which is all about is about, cause the most marginalized people of society are always the ones who get the least. And so I was, my goal, whether it be somebody who identifies as someone with disabilities or, you know, um, somebody who's African-American or um, who lives in Mexico or, you know, whomever I have writers all over the world, you know, who come from different marginalized um, backgrounds and they want to talk about their practice. And it's, it's sort of that same idea, I guess, I don't want to get too off track of, but of creating um, platform for one another, creating exposure. And then also, yes, money, giving money. I pay my writers so that they can put their voice out there and then they get money and, you know, and that is supporting, creating an economy that supports itself outside of this, you know, um, big one. So I think, um, yes, giving money to creators is great. Buying things from creators is great. Helping creators get what they need in life, get jobs, get, you know, where they need to go is great. Um, and doing all of that to like lift up other people and being conscientious where you put your money is, um, a big part of it. It is, it's a part of, it's part of the witchy decolonization because there's so many stores you can buy from, and there's so many people you can give money to in this, um, practice area, you know, I don't want to call it because I don't want to call it a spirituality thing or a religious thing, but in this area, there's a lot of people that you can choose to throw money at. Mm -hmm. And so choosing people of color to read about their lives, to, to, to pay them, um, to respect them as creators and to elevate them when they need it. Yeah, I agree. And for me, part of my own decolonization practice has been to really look at who I'm listening to and mm-hmm. who I'm tuning into and where my attention is. And so I go through, you know, my followers, uh, not my followers, my following who I follow on social media. And I, I've checked myself, you know, how many of these creators are white versus people of other ethnicities from all over the world? What voices am I listening to the most? Is it people who have high privilege or low privilege? So I've gone through and basically edited or gone, you know what, I'm missing this voice 
so much. Mm -hmm. I need to go out and seek people who have this point of view so that I can help keep myself in check as well and learn from them and support them as well. And I do that not just with, yeah, smart, absolutely. Not just with race, but uh, following people who are neurodivergent, people who are uh, disabled. Mm-hmm. And not just in the witchy community as well, but outside of that, although I do preference people who are a little bit witchy mm-hmm. because that's yeah. who I am as well. Yeah, uh, and trying to elevate voices or, you know, choosing them to, to purchase things off if I can. And I think as well, going back to what you said about books, you know, mm-hmm. looking at even the publisher that mm-hmm. creates the books that you're looking into reading, uh, there are some problematic publishers. I've, I've looked on the publisher's website. A lot of people don't do this. And this might be because I'm writing my own book, but looking on publishers' websites and I go, authors, you click a little thing, it shows you all their authors and you can see how plain and white that usually is. So, and I, you know, I am also white, right? So I'm like, if I wanted to publish with this person, like I don't want to just be another, like almost Mm. like contributing to this Mm -hmm. white voice that comes through here. And I know there is a, a recent publishing house that's just come out, Row House Publishing, and they've come out to pretty much try and scrap that, throw it all to the ground and do exactly what you're saying, which is lifting up people who are marginalised in those places. And so now I'm like, all right, what books are you bringing out? I want to support those books that are coming out. So I can everyone go and follow Row House Publishing on Instagram as well. They're fantastic. Uh, But also leaning outside of that in terms of things, people that may be non-binary or trans or part of the q plus community so so much so much so many places we can expand our our knowledge our support our our focus and our attention attention at the moment is where money goes yeah absolutely i think that um like you you touched on something curating your like your instagram is important curating your facebook is important um and making sure you're getting exposed to a lot of different um different voices in, especially in witchcraft, if you're talking about discolonizing your craft, um, there, cause there are so many white voices in witchcraft and like, you know, in, in witchy publishing, um, it's overwhelming, but the vast majority, I would say, and this is, um, my opinion, but the vast majority of practices that we have in witchcraft, I think come from people of color, areas of the world of people of color, um, were, um, absolutely creating the dominant religions of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of books that are even Wiccan books, right? And I do a lot of that for research and for, you know, reviews and things like that. But I read these books that may be very Wiccan based and I'm like, that's a voodoo practice. Right. Where did that come from? And How did that get in there? Yeah. And I, I don't think it's that particular author. It may even realize that it's just a, what they were taught and it goes back and it goes back. So what you said earlier, which is looking at the things that you do and where it comes from or originates from, I think that's really powerful mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like if you're going to do this, don't just do it because it's fun and you love it. Um, or because it's what like, you were told. Because it's what you were told. Like, do it because um, there's a little, you're going to put a little hard work into it. Like, you're going to put a little research. You're going to put um, time. You're going to become, like, the most educated in in practices not like in you know like university education or anything but just learning because we live in an era of information being real um accessible and so just finding good resources which is so important obviously in this day and age where you know there's like fake news and stuff but finding good research resources and doing your research is like that should be um like a given when you're practicing 
yeah. witchcraft, which is something that is a set of practices tied so deeply into people's cultures and spirituality and religion. And, um, and when you think about um, actual colonization and what that did to the religion of people of color, like the, what would have been considered, I guess, the like pagan religions um, that were turned into like Christianity and, and the, the versions of Christianity in the Caribbean. And mm. so you'll see, um, I see a lot in witch groups, you'll see people being like, oh, Christo pagans are the worst, you know, like, and they'll start making these big, broad judgments. But it's like, no, you don't even understand that a lot of these symbols that you see used in witchcraft that look Christian are actually because there were religions that were colonized and where you had to hide or you could be hurt or killed or, you know, you could lose your livelihood because you were practicing some religion where you prayed to a God that wasn't a saint. And so then these saints became a part of these important witchcraft practices through this, you know, pro this dehumanizing process of colonization. And now you have people who are like, oh my God, like, you know, Christian pagans are, you know, all over the place. And why do people even put these symbols in it? And it's like, well, do a little research. Why did people put these symbols in there? You know? Um, and if you can't answer that question and you're like online complaining about it, then there's, there's an issue. There's a disconnect, you know? Um, and then people like me start yelling at you. So <laughs> then it becomes like, you know, listen, and you know, sometimes I do get frustrated. That's mostly a joke, but, uh, um, but it's easy to get frustrated with people who are, are not willing to put in the very basic, like I said, given of like, Hey, let's do a little research. We have Google at our fingertips. Yeah. yeah right. Why is this Information like this? You know, mm -hmm. um, I do put saints in my practice and I'm not Christian and I'm not a Christo pagan and I'm, my family's Catholic and I'm not a Catholic. You know, I just, it's a, it's a symbolism that is meaningful for a lot of reasons. And a lot of folk, folk magic practitioners will use saints as well. It's very, very yeah. common, especially throughout the Southern states. Uh, right. In the US. Absolutely. We see that a lot. Yeah, it is. We see it a lot and it, it, it goes back to some like, you know, way, 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 way back in, in my ancestry, people probably did have to hide, um, some of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and so it could, some people might say that's counterintuitive to like decolonizing is keeping like, you know, these colonized symbols, yeah. but I think it's important to remember, like, it's important to remember that these, these symbols have overlap because of, um, violence because of, uh, erasure and those kinds of things. So I, I do keep them close. I feel like they're important symbols to um, who I am and, and to my practice. I think they take on an, almost a new meaning as well. They become something else and a symbol of what uh, your family or heritage or ancestry has been through. Right. Absolutely. And I think especially with um, Latin people, I, I'm in a lot of groups where we kind of um, try to share practices, which is such a wonderful like community thing to do when you have, you know, people who come from all over the world who have similar backgrounds and they try to share practices. Um, but, but a lot of um, people in like Latin America and the Caribbean who, who are Americans, um, I guess, and people from all over the world who have roots in like Latin America and the Caribbean um, tend to use rosaries and stuff, I think a lot in their practice. Mm. Um, and, and that can, in a lot of the more like, um, broad pagan circles that can get you some side eyes but it's um you know it, it really is a cultural thing and so I think just trying to understand where people are coming from um and and to understand that like if you're feeling if you're a, a white person you're feeling oppressed by Christianity think of how 
the Latin witch next to you feels, how the, um, you know, the, the um, black witch feels, the, the Native American witch, or, you know, your um, Native indigenous, indigenous Australian witch might feel about um, Christianity and their practice and why those symbols are powerful and why those symbols are painful before you just go kind of like, you know, um, getting upset about it. And so I think that, that we just need to, to open our minds as a community a little bit more to what the needs of um, individual groups are and how our histories are, are intertwined in ways that are great um, mm-hmm. and that are painful and, um, you know, and, and be more respectful. Yeah, I think respect should be a core uh, belief or a core underpinning to everyone's spiritual practice. I think that Absolutely. would make everything a lot better if we could all just be respectful of others and opinions and experiences now if you could if you could snap your fingers and change one thing about the way everyone practices their witchcraft Mm -hmm. what would that be I don't know I, I I feel I looked at that question I feel like um like in some aspects I don't really want to change anything about other people's practices. I just want people to like think critically about their own practice. I guess is that, is that the thing I can change maybe is that um, people choose to be a little more self-critical and think critically about their practice without the defensiveness that you mentioned before and without, you know, um, like if you could real quickly just get past all that defensiveness and look at, the you know the reality behind what you're doing um more critically because I think whether you're talking about witchcraft or we're talking about something like pop culture or something else and being critical of what we consume and what we do is like such an important part and we talked about fake news before it's like you have to be critical of things you have to learn critical thinking you have to be able to like navigate this information era world you have to be able to think critically um, and that should apply to every aspect of your life. Witchcraft is no different. And I think if um, if people were more willing to open up to critical thinking and to being self-critical um, without all that baggage that comes along with it, um, especially when you get something that's so personal, like your own personal practice, um, that, that it would be a lot easier to have these conversations like the one we're having right now. I agree. Yeah. I think critical thinking and discernment are two things yeah. that should be everyone's word of the year. <laughs> Everyone needs to bring more of that in discernment when we're reading information, especially reading books and the critical thinking aspect comes in at, well, where did this person get their knowledge from? Where are they coming from? What's their worldview? How does that align with my worldview? And, you know, would that be appropriate for me to, to listen to or take on Mm -hmm. Uh, or using their discernment to figure out if that may not be something that they should be listening to or might not be correct and that sort of thing as well. And you were mentioning books earlier as well that the older they are, often the more problematic they are. Mm-hmm. And I do have a lot of people that that recommend things like, oh, should we burn those books or should we, you know, put out a book blacklist, right? And like cancel culture of books, uh, especially of like those early 1900s occult authors because they can be very, very oh, problematic. Wow. There yeah. is, uh, and we haven't even touched on as well, um, the anti-Semitic uh, views that pervade a lot of occult literature as well. That is yeah. another area of discussion. And that is very prominent in those books. I do think it is very good for people to actually understand where a lot of our 
witchcraft practices in this day and age come from. And a lot of it is in those books. So if we know Mm -hmm. what's in those and can discern between, okay, that's really anti-Semitic, that should not be in there, that has fed into this part of my practice. Oh, crap, what am I doing? You can start to see those links. But if we burn those books completely and don't read them. Sure, yeah, absolutely. We're not going to see those links. So it it can be as I say, I never am on the side of burning books. Like, I feel like that is like, like burning information and like, like a censorship. I don't necessarily believe in, but I see like when, when people can't think critically, you're like, okay, I see why people are like, yeah, let's just censor them, you know, but yeah. like, yeah, because you know, people just sort like- of take on everything as yeah. it's in a book. It must be true. Whereas a lot of right. things in books are personal gnosis or right. right? They're not based on like, it or they're based on the views of the time you know, and that's the same thing with the Bible. When people are reading the Bible and they're like, it's literal, it is exactly this. And I have to believe every word. It's like, you don't understand the anthropological history of the time and how those sayings were used and the, what the people were going through. So critical thinking with all books. I think you could probably in witchcraft, if it's written by a white person before 2013, just don't, you know, like, just, just take everything with a grain of salt. Like, you know, like it's probably not going to be like a hundred percent what you need to be doing. And you should like go into a book looking at that and being like, okay, now I've read a lot. I mean, I probably read, I, I like to do audible. So I probably read over like 25, you know, witchcraft books of varying authors. And sometimes you're like, oh, you're like, oh, like oh man like this is bad like I would never there's so there's there's a lot of books that I would never recommend to somebody who came to me and said hey like do you do you think I should read this this author like no I really don't um but I like I could still like for somebody who who is willing to like sit and think critically I can see the value in wanting to like read it and understand where it goes wrong like I think that's um an important thing but for people who are basically just asking for like you know, I want to learn something. There are very, very few, like, handful of books that I think are, um, you know, written by people of color or other marginalized people and who have um, fresh perspective, you know. Are there any books Uh, that you would recommend for people? Yeah, definitely. um, The book I mentioned before, Brujas um, by Lorraine Montiagat. Then there is Enchantment by Maya Spalter. Enchantments. Enchantments by Maya Spalter. Um, she's African-American um, and she worked at a store called Enchantments, but um, she's in the United States in, in New England. She worked at a store called Enchantments. And a lot of it is like, it's partial, like very relatable stuff about being in retail, but being like witchy and being, you know, at a witch store in retail, but also um, she's, she's hilarious and it, it covers a little bit of everything. So it's a very broad, like if you're just kind of diving in, you get a little astrology, you get some, you know, like some spell work stuff. Um, it's very broad, non-appropriative, really funny, very clever, really relatable. It's probably like the best, one of the best books I've read. I love that. I love that. I will throw in my own recommendation as well for the work of Lilith Dorsey. Oh, I just interviewed her. Yes. Oh, did you? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she's she's, she's incredible and her works are amazing. And again, they are, she is all about traditional African religions. And yes, if you want to learn about those. She is the one to learn from rather than yes, absolutely. anyone who is white or not from that culture or from those. I talked to her about um, like how you feel about people reading your books to like a wide audience. Because it's kind of hard to write to a wide audience when you're writing about something that is so specific you know mm. um 
and uh, I have to publish that, but th she had a lot of good stuff to say about it. I mean, she, she wants people to read it. She wants people to learn. And I think that that's an important thing to do, just like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Well, I think when you're learning, at least learning from, I guess, the right source mm -hmm. and it's okay to learn and appreciate it that way and listen to those voices and lift them up mm -hmm. rather than taking. I think that's where it gets. And she's careful too with like um, not putting in like, you know, there's stuff that if you're practicing voodoo or something that you simply cannot tell people. Yeah. Well, it's a closed religion. Like it is like, you know, a closed religion. You cannot say it and, and you're, not supposed to, you're not supposed to be talking about it. And she's very respectful of, you know, those lines of those kinds of things. So she yeah. kind of writes content for everybody, but, um, you know, from a perspective, that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with closed religions, I think some people get defensive, even just on that term. Like, what do you mean? I can't do it. Yeah. So, well, no, it just means you need to be initiated. And in some areas you have to be of a certain, there are some closed, yeah. closed religions where you have to be of that either bloodline or that particular right. community. Yeah. Like there are, there are rules around it and that's okay. That's for a yeah. reason that's to protect it. You know, humans are funny. Like, oh, you, what do you mean I can't do something? Yeah, they they don't mm -hmm. like rules. It's like if there's a rule, I need to break it. Yeah, get out of that boundary. Right, exactly. But sometimes those rules are there to keep us safe. As a parent, I use that term a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. You too. Yeah. You need your seatbelt because otherwise mm -hmm. you're not safe. That's yeah, kind of absolutely. what it is. We need that because if you if you're thrown into some of those religions, and I know voodoo in particular, they are they they have some very, very powerful spirits on their team. If you mm. go into there and you haven't got your seatbelt on, you haven't been initiated, you don't have the right understanding or any of that, then you are treading dangerous waters. Absolutely. And like you said before, it comes down to respect. And, and if you respect something, you want to do it the right way. And you can't claim to respect something and then um, not respect its origin story or like, you know, the, the things that you're supposed to do in order to have access to it. Those two things don't mesh. The idea of like, I respect this um, so much that I'm going to do it anyway, even though it's closed, you know, like that doesn't really make sense. So exactly. there's a right way to get initiated. And, um, you know, if you, if you are taking the right steps and um, doing the right things, whether that be uh, being of a certain community or, um, something that requires you just to learn from somebody, you know, then, then you can say you're doing something respectfully, but until then, you know, it's just a, a word that you're using so that you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what, what I think a lot of times we move away from. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, the more privilege people have, the more their expect or the higher their expectation of just being able to access everything. Mm -hmm. everything should be available to them because of Absolutely. who they are and the experiences they've had and yeah a lot of people are not used to not being able to do something especially exactly. something that um they could easily take you know <laughs> something that they could just do because they think they have the information or that the information is there um people don't see a value in not taking sometimes you know mm -hmm. yeah i agree so for everybody listening I guess this is a open discussion that we're having and feel free to chime in on the Instagram page. Um, if you have something you want to talk about or to say, because it is a discussion that's worth having and that we all need to be aware of and you know, remembering to be respectful and be critical of everything that you're consuming. Look at your Absolutely. own privilege. Yep. Check yourself first before you start, you know, 
looking at um, what other people are doing. You should mm -hmm. be looking at what you're doing. And if, especially, I mean, that, then that goes for everybody, but if you are one of those people that's out there like throwing punches at people and being like, you need to do this or you need to back off that, um, especially if you're a white person and you're doing those things, then you should also make sure you're looking at like your own practice and everything that you're doing. Too many people are wanting to get out into the fight without, you know, putting in the effort to kind of check themselves in the process. And it doesn't help. It doesn't do any good. You know, it kind of hurts. That's where the buzzword comes in. It kind of hurts the cause. It becomes somebody else's fight for something else. Um, so it's important to make sure that you're um, doing everything you can to make sure your own practice is mm -hmm. sound. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, in terms of you and your blog, where can everyone find you online as well? I am um, mostly on Instagram, although I need to update um, at, uh, I have a lot of different handles and I apologize. Temperance Home Bar is my Instagram because I have a couple of lines of business. I'm like a witchy entrepreneur. So I have a, a shop on Etsy um, that's called Temperance Home and Bar. So Temperance Home Bar is my Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook under Temperance Home and Bar. Those are probably the two best places to find me. I'm on Twitter under Melissa Sues. Yeah. That's my first and last name. Um, but uh, I recommend people follow me on Instagram. It's where you're probably going to find the most updated content. Yeah. And you do have your, your blog, which is fantastic. It's got yes, lots of, yeah, it's got lots of amazing resources there. So I'll pop all of the links in the description box for this episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for joining me today and for opening up. Uh, the discussion around this topic and I think it's it's really beneficial and it's something that everybody needs to assess for themselves as well so I appreciate your you sharing your knowledge and your point of view it's great to be here thank you very much appreciated now if anyone listening would like to get in touch with myself to book in a reading you can do so at suburbanwitchery.com I do have my guidance calls available for 30 or 60 minutes and I'd love to connect with you there if you enjoy this podcast I would love to have you join us over on Patreon we do do a live once a month where I chat with uh, my Patreon supporters we pull a card I might do a psychic development exercise and it honestly has the feeling of like joining a sleepover like we're just that close-knit it's really really fun so definitely join us over there if you'd like to uh, have that experience as well and you can also put forth questions for future podcast guests if you wish then the last thing I'd like to ask you to do is please jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review or tell a friend about this podcast that you think they would enjoy it all of that helps so incredibly much as always thank you very much for listening wherever you are in the world today and I'll catch up with you next time. Oh,